that's why a lot of them have those health issues is because their alarm system's just being triggered left and right and the brain still thinks they're in danger. And so right. they come in and they're just like, well, you know, I have this going on. I have chronic pain because yeah, the nervous system just is not shutting off and our body can't heal when that stuff, that cortisol, that adrenaline is just pumping through us. Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message on workplace wellness. Hi, it's Mike with the Portage County Safety Council. I'm here with Joshua Hill, who's a therapist. Welcome to the podcast, Joshua. And thank you for having me. So Joshua, we're here to talk about stress. Before we do that, just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do. So I am a therapist practicing in private practice in Howland, Ohio, working mainly with the adult population for mental health. What are you seeing in your practice as far as stress goes? We hear, I like to joke, it's the end of the world. We have killer hornets, riots in the streets, elections, and that's still going on. It looks like it headed in just the Thanksgiving. <laughs> COVID-19, I mean, I don't know what else is going to come. There's always a hurricane or two to hit, but there's a lot of different things to deal with. We're having to do life. Everyone's saying the new normal. I'm not a particularly a fan of that. I like the hunker down approach until this thing's over, take cover. Okay. But what are you seeing out there with all this extra pressure coming from the outside and the clients that you work with? What are people dealing with? How are they processing it? What's going on in the therapy world? Well, you know, the stress is increased significantly more than what I've seen in 2019. But because of COVID and, you know, obviously the election, there's this stress with my clients that I'm noticing that they have to adapt the best that they can to this new normal. And we know that change, whether good or bad, is difficult to adjust to. But a lot of the clients coming in are like, how do I successfully adjust with all of this stuff, I have to teach my kid now. You know, I, I have to basically learn right. uh, the material that they're learning in school so I can yeah. help them. And then, you know, especially in the work setting, there's been a lot of my clients who said, you know, we've had staff that has been let go, who have quit. So, you know, maybe an office that there was 20 employees, they're down to five. So there's just this crazy amount of stress running rampant in society, and especially the clients that I see, and they're doing their best, they are, but it seems that, you know, when they're able to kind of adjust, a new life event happens that they're just like, oh God, now what do I have to do to get through this? Yeah, absolutely. And you and I talked before we started recording and even before on LinkedIn, there's a really big impact of stress on our chemical nervous systems, isn't there? Yes. What does stress physically do to those systems in our body? Well, so stress is actually a pretty nasty beast on our bodies, (laughs) right? So like, I mean, there's that good stress and there's that bad stress, right? Good stress is, okay, I'm planning for a wedding. I got a promotion at my job and I have to learn all this stuff. So of course, that's going to be stressful as you're learning. But then, you know, the bad stuff can be like maybe a loss of a loved one, loss of a job. So I've noticed that a lot of my clients and even people in my personal life really don't understand what stress does to our body and what is going on when we're in this situation that is causing us stress. So what happens from a neurological and biological really aspect of stress is that, you know, we're stressed out. So that activates the wonderful alarm system in our brain or the amygdala. Right. Yeah, (laughs) who then likes to signal the adrenal glands to release the wonderful stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline. And 
it's pumping through our veins, right? So, you know, we have these hormones pumping through us, you know, our body's ready for fight or flight since that's the system Mm -hmm. that's activated. And then the corresponding nervous system is the sympathetic nervous system tied directly to that fight or flight response. So we aren't meant to have continual stress in our life. You know, our body is just giving us a healthy dose of cortisol, adrenaline. Hey, let's get through this and we'll, you know, we'll eventually calm down. But what ends up happening, especially with chronic stress, and especially in 2020, is that that system keeps on reactivating and it's reactivating for longer periods of time. And we're just not built that way. That's why a lot of people who I see, you know, I've been fatigued. I've had no energy. I feel like I'm more anxious, more depressed. And then when I really get to the root of, okay, when did this start? You know, a lot of them are like, oh gosh, when the first shutdown happened back in March, I'm like, okay, so was there a period where you felt maybe a little bit more calm? They're like, no. (laughs) So, you know, my client's body, their nervous system it's just continually going and that that's going to tank our health. Yeah. And it's crazy when that adrenaline kicks off, right? Mm-hmm. It's made, like you said, part of that fight or flight mechanism. Mm-hmm. But, you know, back in the day, we ran from wolves or chased wolves and it made a lot of sense. Yeah. But now, you know, things start mirroring neurons and some other things out there. Mm-hmm. Literally, that thing gets triggered all the time, you know, and, and now we sit in front, I heard a guy say one time, we sit in front of a TV and a bowl of popcorn we're watching a scary movie that's or a war movie or something like Braveheart or something, you know, out there or Mandalorian. And you're like, Oh, 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 and your, your body yeah. don't know the difference. And it starts releasing adrenaline. And you got to think with our uh, technology or smartphones, everywhere mm-hmm. we look, there's a, you know, I, I joke and it's kind of crude for a professional podcast, but <laughs> I remember going to a restaurant to get some wings and there was an led screen right above the urinal. And I'm like, can I not oh, get like a foot of free space where I don't have to be like sold something? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? I'm like, come on guys. Like, come right. on, this is ridiculous. So, you know, in every aisle way at Walmart or these stores you see, there's certain things. And literally I remember like this became more real to me and uh, I'm a self-diagnosed coffee addict probably. And I remember going to McDonald's, I was in a hurry and I run in there and, you know, my favorite thing at McDonald's is coffee. I'm not a big fan of anything else. But I ran in there one time and they had this LED screen hanging up. And it was like this river of chocolate with coffee beans. And all of a sudden, like a like a hearkening angel, there was a McCafe cup covered in white light glowing. Like, oh! And I, and I found myself salivating like Pavlov's dog. And I started saying, I'm like Pavlov's dog. I think I got a problem here. And I realized... Everywhere I go, I'm getting stimulated, even the most subtle ways and all that stuff throughout history. We have never had that happen. And that's pre-COVID, you know, and now you can't turn on your TV like, man, I just have to shut the media off. I can't, you know, and and a lot of times that's probably the best way shutting off social media for a while and the media and different things. But but all that just overstimulates us. And we had a chiropractor that came last January, actually, Mm -hmm. and talked about stress and how to reboot your health and different things. And she showed the diagrams of the impact of your nervous system. When you get stressed, it literally, like, it's not her words. To me, it it seemed like it just clenched up the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And it prevented, she said, it literally prevents your body from going into rest and actually Mm -hmm. healing itself. Mm -hmm. And I was, so stress 
can prevent your body from healing itself. I think it's way bigger. You know, it's so ambiguous, I think, you know, and it's like this invisible enemy kind of thing. And we can't put our finger on it because we call everything stress. And right. But literally, <laughs> it's, it's that big of a deal. It could literally prevent us from healing ourselves. Absolutely. I mean, they say stress is a killer and it, it really is. And, you know, not to veer off topic too much, but just a little bit. That's why, you know, people who have gone through serious trauma, I shouldn't say serious, but any sort of trauma where, you know, maybe whether it's diagnosable PTSD or just that concept of, you know, developmental trauma, which I'm hoping will one day be recognized. But anyway, I mean, that's why a lot of them have those health issues is because their alarm system's just being triggered left and right. And the brain still thinks they're in danger. And so right. they come in and they're just like, well, you know, I have this going on. I have chronic pain because, yeah, the nervous system just is not shutting off. And our body can't heal when that stuff, that cortisol, that adrenaline is just pumping through us. So I had this old football injury. Actually, it wasn't a football injury. I always say that. I think it's a joke. But I was actually in a car accident. And I just want to give a physical example to our listeners that maybe you could relate to in regards to stress. Uh I was in the accident. We there was a two way stop. I was fourteen. My sister was driving, and uh, anyone that's from Garrettsville knows where this is. It's State Route three hundred five and eighty eight. There's yeah, a two way yeah. stop, and people always come to the Nelson Ledges Quarry Park uh-huh. party weekend. And they came across the the two way stop, thinking it was a four way stop, and we hit them like T boned them. And I didn't have my seatbelt on. I flew up, kind of hit my head, and knocked me out a little bit, kind of thing. Well, mm-hmm. I uh, didn't even know that it was traumatizing. Didn't even know anything happened. I was a little sore. Didn't think anything of it. Fast forward, you know, playing football, mm-hmm. I would get hit in the neck. And, mm-hmm. and so it, pain would get a little worse. Then here you go, you know, no big deal. Just pop my neck a couple times. I'm good to go. Get in my 20s. My neck's hurting a little bit more. Oh, no. You know, then I get in my 30s and I'm like, man, I can't do anything. It feels like I got stiff. And I go to the chiropractor. They take x-rays. He's like, you, you've been in an accident. And I was like, no. It's an old football injury. <laughs> and, and then I remember that accident. But what was crazy about it was that first year, nothing. The first 10 years, nothing. But as it went on, when I started getting into, you know, from 14 to my, you know, late 20s, that 10, 15-year period started coming. It started becoming an issue. And then I'm like, you know what? I got to take care of this. And even though it was an injury that was so old, it was almost like the, there's a compounding interest. I don't know what medical terms to use because I'm not in the field, but there's a compounding issue that it just kept getting worse. How much is that with stress on our mental health? You know, I've been through childhood trauma and there was a point where I realized my behavioral issues all stem from abuse that I went through as a child, not mm-hmm. realizing it. Cause I was like, I'm a grown man. Don't know. I do what I want to do. Not realizing <laughs> I was actually in a pattern based off something that happened years ago until I was able to process that in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. It just kept getting worse and worse. So how does stress affect that long term? Cause a lot of people think, well, this is just COVID and this is that. But it could be there could be a lot more going on, right? That COVID was just the icing on the cake, so to speak, to have this long-term effect to where maybe we could have managed it before, but now it's really taken a harder toll than we imagined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's a great question. So if there's like any pre-existing conditions, uh, like well, first of all, physical, yeah, you know, the stress mm-hmm. of today, whether it's you know because of everything that's going on, can definitely reactivate those old injuries in the body. But if we're talking about you know that trauma that you mentioned. I've noticed even with some of my clients that the stuff that they've experienced is being brought up more frequently because there's that stress response to what's going on in the world today. And a lot of them are like, I'm feeling the same way that I felt back then. Yeah. 
So it's the same feelings. It's the same behavior. It's the same thoughts. So a lot of them, yeah, 2020, it hit them, you know, and it just activated that stress response. And they're thrown back to terrible things that they've experienced. And they're noticing more increases of maybe flashbacks or intrusive images or thoughts. It's really tanking a lot of people's ability to, you know, relax. And I've noticed too, even in therapy, the ones who have that developmental trauma is that we're we're kind of putting out the fires of what's going on currently, because that's just at the forefront. But at the same time too, the old stuff is being triggered. And so they're being double whammied from both sides. You know, in EMDR, they say a lot of resourcing that I've gone back to because it's just people's distress tolerance and emotional regulation skills kind of went down because, you know, a lot of this stuff happened so suddenly. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, oh, gosh, I have to get rebalanced here. What do I do, Josh? And I'm like, okay, hang on. Let's go back to the basics here. Yeah. Well, what are some of those basics? If I catch myself, I'm just getting overwhelmed through this. and Maybe I had a little bit of stress before and maybe I was in denial of it because I just I was functional. And did what I have to do. And there's, you know, no consequence of it to a degree. But now with COVID and everything, it, you know, if I'm going through that, what what's the first two or three things that you'd recommend that I start to do, you know, maybe some kind of self-care type, you know, and a personal level and daily routine that, that we could do to kind of overcome that stress? Yeah. Well, I think that's important to first just even acknowledge that you're stressed. Mm. I've yeah. had a lot of clients be like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's good. And I'm like, that's a big hurdle, though. It is. It, I mean, easier said than done. Yeah. But, you know, we have to acknowledge actually what we're, what we're feeling, how the body's even reacting. Because, I mean, that's the thing about stress. It manifests in our body and it looks differently mm-hmm. for everyone. So it's really cultivating that mindful aspect of, no, 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 wait. I need to actually validate myself and this is what I'm feeling and this is how it's affecting me. Because yeah. then we're putting it on our radar to kind of look out for in, you know, the days or hours to come. So once we name it, validate it, acknowledge it, you know, we can really look at what I like to do after that is activate the system that's going to help calm us. You know, we talked about that sympathetic nervous system that really is kind of the gas pedal that gets us ramped up in conjunction with uh, amygdala. So we want the other system to be activated, which is the parasympathetic. And that's, you know, I like to call it, that's the break. We want to apply the break. We need that sympathetic that sympathetic nervous system to calm down. You know, it's the system that's activated when we're at rest, you know? So at the end of a long day at work, we go home, maybe we veg out on the couch, you know, that system is activating. Our breathing is a lot slower, you know, a lot deeper, and we really aren't holding any tension in our body. Problem is with today's society, in the sense of what's going on, is that, like you said earlier, the media, right? It's just in our faces all the time. So people aren't able to de-escalate. So what I like to do is I tell people, okay, we need to get, you know, the calming system active. And there's a very simple approach that I use that is very, it's commonly used within therapists who utilize EMDR therapy with clients. And it's just what's called bilateral movements. All bilateral means is left and right motions across the body's medium. So we learn innately early on in life that, ooh, if I can do these slow bilateral movements, I can activate that calming system intentionally. And that really, kind of, yep. Yeah. If you ever, I always use this analogy or not analogy, but I always ask people, have you ever seen someone with an infant, you know, holding in their arms? They're like, yeah. I'm like, what, what are they doing? Oh, well, they're rocking them back and forth slowly. Right. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm like, and 
with anxious people, you know, what do they kind of do? They're like, oh, they kind of rock back and forth, you know, this way or kind of this sure. way. So, you know, we learn whether we know it or not that, ooh, slow left and right motions is something that we can utilize to calm ourselves down and help ourselves manage that. And as uh, silly as it sounds, I, I always tell my clients, I'm like, you're going to leave today with a toy. And these are adult clients. But there, there's something that's just called a porcupine ball. It is literally just this. Okay, I've seen those. Yeah. 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 So I will have them, you know, especially the ones who come in, they're like, oh, I'm so stressed. I'm like, all right, hang on. Let me throw you a porcupine ball. It is as simple as just putting it in your palms and doing that. And a lot of people are like, is this really going to work? This seems That's what I'm thinking. Uh Someone that comes off like that, what what would you tell them? Uh, What I do is just say, hey, you know, just do it maybe for a minute with me as we continue talking. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, I'll give it a go. And after about a minute or so, I check back in. I go, oh, hey, how are how are you feeling, by the way? What did you notice change for you? And they're like, I feel more calm. And my body isn't as tense. And I'm like, good. And they're like, did that ball really just do what you said it was going to do? I'm like, well, yeah. We're literally activating that wonderful calming system in your body. That's all you're doing. So I want to ask a question about rest as well. Now, is there a bad kind of rest and a good kind of rest? Because I think in our culture, what we do is we call something resting, but mm-hmm. maybe we're actually, you know, like Netflix binging <laughs> or video gaming to where yeah. the point's becoming a problem. It becomes more escapism or mm-hmm. uh, we could tend to get lazy, you know what I mean, that causes more stress in other areas down the road. What What is healthy, good rest that's really going to recuperate us emotionally look like? Honestly, what's really going to help recuperate us, and I know this is going to be like a cliche thing, but really having good sleep hygiene. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Someone can be, oh, yeah, I'm resting on the couch watching TV. And that's good that, you know, that's a good decompression thing, you know, at the end of the day. But now we have to factor in the blue light, which we know keeps us going. Or even, you know, on your phone, you know, in bed. Because that's what the brain likes to do. It goes, ooh, if we lay down in bed with the phone, well, we're not going to sleep. We're going to look through, I don't know, Facebook or Reddit. Yeah. So, I mean, and that stuff's okay to do, but it's it's good to do it smartly. If I do that, it will mess with my sleep a little bit. Yep. It, and, I, it, and I think I'm more of a visual person. And I remember uh, my wife and I, her family's out of state, so we went down there and they had an old uh, Nintendo set up. Okay. And, uh, nice. So we played Super Mario 3. Mm-hmm. Like two or three hours, went on a little bench, cracked mm-hmm. down a little Super Mario three, and all <laughs> night long I dreamed I had a turtle and I was jumping up with my hand and breaking bricks. Oh my god, I love it! <laughs> and I would wake up in the middle of the night though, and I was like, I can't, you know, the next day they're kidding around. What are we gonna play in the? I'm not not playing anything. I can't. I was up all night smashing bricks in my dreams. Right, and, and I know, you know what I mean. It was just my memory was so stimulated mm-hmm. from doing something different that it literally prevented me from getting that, that good rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah, that, that's important. It's, there's all this stimulation and you said it earlier, you know, from everywhere. And, you know, with all that stimulation going on, our brain, of course, is going to be aware of it and wants to zoom in like, Ooh, what's going on over here? What's going on over here? Right. And, you know, when we bring that into a place like the bedroom where we sleep, you know, the brain's going to start linking, oh, when we lay down, but we're like, I don't know, watching TV or whatnot, is that it's going to start pairing that this room 
is it's not just sleep, but we can look at things that are stimulating and that can really mess up someone's sleep. So the sleep hygiene, having that routine of, okay, I need to start winding down. And there's things that people can do. I know a lot of my clients I encourage, especially if they have difficulty sleeping um, because of stress or racing thoughts is to, you know, have a routine where you allow yourself to start winding down. And some of them will use the slow bilaterals. Others will like to do like meditation is then we're getting rid of that stimulation from our devices and it's allowing our body to start shutting down, but also to separate, you know, okay, I'm not going to look at my phone while I'm in the bedroom because I really want my body to know when I lay down, it's I'm getting ready for bed and the body's going to respond to that. And that's going to cause for, you know, us to hit REM sleep more, which is what we need. Our subconscious mind plays a huge role in this stuff, doesn't it? Like we, we literally program ourselves. I know it's going to be a goofy example and people are going to laugh at me, but I'm just going to be one. I'll throw it out there. (laughs) Uh, We just have a new season of Mandalorian. I'm not, and I'm not a big TV guy, Mm -hmm. but I'm really into star Wars. And so (laughs) I'm watching the Mandalorian and the new episodes drop at 301 Eastern standard time. Mm. So I'm sitting there. There's no way I'm getting up at three in the morning to watch this, mm-hmm. but I'm, I get excited about it. And, and I got caught up a couple of times with the new season, looking up these like spoiler videos on YouTube <laughs> through my fire stick. Right. So You're I'm right. watching this stuff before I sleep and maybe I fall asleep like 1130, 12, something like that. Every time I've done that, I've gotten up at 315, 330 in the morning. And I wake up, like, my eyes are like, boom. Right. <laughs> I'm wide awake, and I'm like, really? How did I get up? And I just started laughing because I knew, like, I put so much into looking into this. My subconscious mind's like, hey, it's 3.30. It's kind of waking me up because mm-hmm. no other day of the week do I do it. It's only on Fridays the last couple of weeks this new season. Yeah. So that is, that's a really big deal. You train this, your subconscious mind comes in there, and, and you say, when I hit the bed, that's it. Mm-hmm. There's, there's none of this distraction going on. There's none of this and that's a big deal. So tell me, how does, uh, how do you, what, what are some tips you have to start phasing into that? So I would suggest do it slowly just because, you know, when we don't want to overwhelm ourselves and we know that when we're overwhelmed, we try something new, we're most likely not going to do it. You know, if it's okay, I lay down in bed and, you know, I usually scroll through Reddit at night. All right. Well, instead of doing it in bed, maybe do it on the couch, Right. And then an hour before you need to go to bed, you know, maybe it's okay, Reddit's down or social media or whatever it is. Maybe I'm just going to engage maybe in some breath work or slow bilaterals or some meditation, something that's calming, that's not being stimulated by an external force, because that's going to start the process of, all right, body shutting down. And then, you know, when our body starts shutting down, we go, oh, I am pretty tired. So when you're tired and you go into the bedroom without that device, whether it's phone or whatnot is the brain's going to eventually learn like, okay, you know, we've done the social media thing. I've done some things to calm down and now I'm here ready to go to bed. So when we lay down that we'll be able to fall asleep faster, but also deeper. That, those are some good practical tips. I like it. Yeah. So I heard, I used to make fun of Tony Robbins all the time. Just, I don't know, just because I thought it was cheesy. And then I heard him say a good line. And actually it was probably a meme. So, and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to kind of eat crow a little bit here, I guess. But he had, he had a line one time uh, and he said, just because of the personality you now I'd make fun of, but at least to myself, but he had, there's a meme and it said, if you want to change your life, 
change the way you think. Mm-hmm. And how much truth is that from your experience working with clients one-on-one of this? We all go through some sort of trauma. And mm-hmm. obviously some people go through more severe trauma than mm-hmm. others. Uh, I work with homeless vets through our agency. I've had several through combat and some it was like nothing, nothing happened. And some that, that couldn't, they would just sit there and cry. And it was just heartbreaking mm-hmm. uh, and going through the, the PTSD, everything that they went through. But yeah. it was, it's so case by case. It's so different for every single person. How much of the way we process that and how we internalize it and interpret it and allow that to shape us, does that impact that buildup of stress over the long term? I think it has a significant impact because it's really all about perception, right? With any sort of trauma, right? You and me could go through the same exact thing. You might, your perception might be like, okay, that was awful, but I'm okay. And I might be a hot mess going, oh my gosh, like I'm in danger. But that piece really starts going. And, you know, the reason I really like EMDR as a therapy for my clients is because we're logical people, right? If if we Mm -hmm. could think ourselves, if we could just kind of think things away, counselors wouldn't really be needed so much. But what we're really doing is dealing with the beliefs that are behind the yes the perceptions. And people are like, oh yeah, beliefs are thoughts. And I'm like, well, no, actually beliefs are body sensations and emotions. Mm -hmm. That's what beliefs are. That's what they're made of. And guess what? They're going to trump logic any day. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, when there's this belief that's still going, let's just say maybe I can't handle it is one, right? Or I'm not worth it. I've I've seen people, I'm not worth to stick up for. Yep. And so they always let people walk all over them. Yeah. And that's where I say, you know, no, this belief is underlining, is creating the perception of what you experience things. So if anyone is like, believes that I'm not worth it, well, guess what? Your thoughts are going to reflect that. They're going to go, well, why bother? Why stick up for myself? And then the behavior could be avoidance. The behavior always, Mm -hmm. always follows the belief system. Yes. And that's where we get into head versus heart. You know, I I would put belief system with the heart kind of side of of our cultural language. And so we have the intellect, so we know what to do. That's why people still smoke, even though they know it's bad for them. There's there's a response there, right? There's a, we we know something, but then we, when we react, that kind of reveals our belief system. So in our minds, we could say, well, I don't really believe in that, or I don't really think that way, but then something happens to us and Uh we respond or react out of a certain way. And you're like, whoa. Right. Where did why did why I do that? Where did that come from? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I'm, when I'm like actively reprocessing someone and, you know, I, I have a, I've had a lot of experience with people who are just very intellectual and very in air and um, rationalize a lot. So I've had to be a little <laughs> bit more direct with them when I'm like, okay, what's the belief? They're like, well, I know this isn't true. So I'm really, no, I, I don't want your head. I want your heart. What's the belief? And they go, well, you know, if I logically, I'm like, I don't want your head. I want your heart. What is the heart actually saying? They go, that I'm really not worth it or I'm not good enough. I said, okay. Yeah. I said, Get, your, your brain can do the pros and cons and evidence for evidence, evidence against all day long. Yeah. But the fact is you just don't believe it. And that's right. what we want. We want you to believe it. So we got to get this gunk out first. And it's hard for people to accept that if they believe it intellectually, mm-hmm. but they still respond by the heart you know, negatively to a certain situation or whatever. They're like, I know this, but I don't know why I'm still doing it. And they don't make the connection there a lot of times, right? It's like, 
it's, I don't know if it's denial or just a blind spot kind of thing that, that takes through that phase of awareness. I mean, I've seen the denial, but more times than not, it's really just, this is a big blind spot that they're just not aware of until we're like, you know, have you really thought maybe this could be the reason? And then it, a lot of them, it's like, you know, the, the synapse, the synapse is finally touched and they're just like, oh my God, now I can see it. I'm like, okay, so let's do something about it. You know, I went through, and I talk about this in some of the groups I do, so this isn't like a pity thing or, or to make this too heavy, but I, w- I went through some sex abuse as a kid, and as a young man, I went through a lot of relationships where I would self-sabotage those. Mm-hmm. When it started getting to the point where I would really fall in love or get too close for comfort, mm-hmm. I would literally do something and kind of wreck it or cheat on the individual. And I did it to every single person I ever dated except my wife, thank God. So as I went through the process, but I was, I went through an inner healing before that and really started dealing with, uh, I literally started reliving my trauma through dreams and daydreams. Actually, I'd be working and reliving some of the trauma of the sex abuse and things, even though in my mind, I couldn't really remember much of it, but these glimpses would constantly, and I realized that was my body telling me to deal with this. And so as I began that process of going through it, I began to see my behavior change. And one of the things that, like I said earlier, I would have never connected my adult drug abuse, alcohol abuse, aggressiveness, fighting, bar fight, whatever it would manifest, have any connection to something that happened to me age five, six, or seven. And it had everything to do with it because during that time, I developed a belief system that anytime I got close to someone, they're going to manipulate me. You know, that's real common with that kind of abuse. They're going to reject me. So I had to deal with a lot of fear of failure, fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. And uh, that fear of uncertainty that comes with all those things. And, but, but literally a lot of the behaviors that we try to fight, you know, I, I've, you know, when I first started my job, I tried to tell people like, come on, man, don't do that. Like coach, I try to coach the behavior of the surface level and it never works. It never <laughs> works. But when you start to dig in and you realize, you know, you know, some people that I worked with that had an unhealthy need to control the situation. Mm-hmm. And if they're at work, they're going to be like, this is a quality issue. And I'm not putting my name on it. I'm like, no, no, no. Why are you trying to control the room? And you get down to it and you discover what happened. They went yeah. through some kind of abuse. and time. So their defense mechanism is, you know, I need to be in control to be safe. And mm-hmm. then that manifests and costs them jobs over and over again. And we have, you know, uh, managers and supervisors and HR managers going, you, no, you can't do that. And right. they're just, they're hitting the surface and it's not doing nothing. And so those that have the awareness of it, you know, have worked with us in the past to before they fire, terminate the employee to allow them to go through therapy and anger management, different types of counseling to walk them through that. And there was a success rate, but the employer has to be patient. So what advice do you give employers? Someone's listening to this because our audience is typically employers for about 30% HR managers, 30% safety managers, about 15 to 20% CEO. And they're like, Mike, you're into this stuff about stress. This is personal, private. What does this have to do with our employees? And, and I'm here trumpeting everything because the fact that you're dealing with the people coming in late, not being on time, there's a lot more going on in that belief system, isn't there, than just that person's uh, what they – they know it's right or wrong, and then just they struggle with it. There may be some opportunity to come and get them help before it becomes a bigger problem and you have to fire them down the road. What would you say about that? What I would say to employers is, you know, to really – start understanding what is going on with the employees, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're seeing someone who is constantly late or, you know, let's just say maybe their mood isn't the best, 
you know, instead of that representation of their behaviors or their mood or whatever, is to really sit down and understand, okay, what is this person going through? Because most of the time, especially right now, is employees just want that support. They do. They, they, want, they want someone to see it, whether mm -hmm. they know it or not, and say, hey, are you okay? What's going on? And I think right now we need that from employers, upper management, management, HR, because this is a crazy time. And especially, yeah, if, if someone has had something go, going on in the past, more times than not, there we go, is that it's already triggering something that's a, a belief that's already present. So I really want to advocate for employers to, you know, instead of getting upset, getting angry with the employee, is to have that one-on-one -on -one time and really, you know, saying, instead of saying, why are you doing this? Asking, you know, hey, what's happening right now? That's you good. Know, what are you going through? Because they're going to respond, you know. Some people might start breaking down and crying. That's okay. You know, but it's really that connection. And that we're, we're, we, we're people who are social creatures. We, we crave yes. that connection. And so when we feel like someone's being genuine and just asking, hey, what, you know, what's happening right now? You know, you, it look a little rough here. Can you tell me? They're going to feel, oh, my God, this person cares, especially as an employer. Mm -hmm. Your employees are going to go, oh, my God, my supervisor or whoever really cares about my health and you know mental being and it, it's when that understanding is fostered between employer and employee not only is that employee most likely going to feel supported and actually start addressing it but they're gonna feel uh, validating the sense of okay i am going through something i can acknowledge it i, I need to handle this and you know you're gonna see better results from the employee at work I'm a huge advocate for having an on-site social worker, counselor, therapist kind of person that could be a resource. And what a lot of companies do is they just contract with an employee assistance program company, which is fantastic. But the problem with that is if you're not working with a really good EAP, you're just going to hang some posters up, need help. And no one's going to respond to that because it, it's really about relationship, right? So if they have that with the supervisor, if they have a counselor that they see every day at the water cooler, then there becomes this small relationship where they begin to feel safe to come and start addressing those issues. Even if it's not a full-time person, mm -hmm. maybe you contract someone out to come in like every Tuesday or something for a couple hours, but create something where they're seen, they're trusted, they're at the company picnics, they're on Zoom call, whatever it is, and it's a show of support and, and develop that relationship. I wish some bigger companies did that. I know some really big companies will have legal support on staff and all that. And it's the smaller companies like our members, it, it's pretty unlikely because usually there are 50 or less. Some of them are a little bit bigger, but uh, may not be in the budget. But there's there's some kind of opportunity out there to really show support more than just hanging a poster on the wall and really engage your employees for health, especially at this time. It's just so crucial. So, Joshua, thank you so much. If anyone would like to get a hold of you for services or for more information, how can they get a hold of you? They can reach me at 330-856-3975. And the private practice I work for is called Preferred Care Counseling. We have three different offices. One's in Poland, one's here in Holland, the other one's in Columbiana. So we're, we're kind of widespread to capture anyone in you know the valley. But even if it's just for speaking or whatnot or getting kind of like, hey, pick my brain, like don't be afraid to reach out. Yeah, so if one of our member companies are, hey, I'd like to get my employees some information on this, maybe do a Zoom call with you. You'd be open for that? Oh, heck yeah. 
Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So thanks, thanks again, Joshua. It was awesome. I, there's some really good information. I really like what you had to say in the beginning about the chemical system and the, the nervous system. To me, it's just I don't think we think about it in that way. That literally when people get hurt on the job, if they're under the stress, now I'm worried about getting fired or I got to deal with this medical issue, their bodies are less likely to heal themselves. And it's going to take the recovery time more and more. So employers, you guys have to start talking to your employees about stress. We did a survey of our members, less than a third sometimes talk about stress. Most of them rarely or never talk about it. So only one out of three companies once in a while occasionally talk to employees about stress. So that's why we're doing this series is to put some tools out there. We're making a case to talk about stress. Why is it important? Why are we doing it? So Joshua, again, thank you very much. I'm going to get out of here and uh, everybody out there, stay safe and take yeah. care. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe. To learn more about how your company can earn up to a 4% Ohio BWC premium rebate by becoming an active member of the Portage County Safety Council, please visit our website at www.portagecountysafetycouncil.wordpress.com. The preceding information is for entertainment purposes only. Views expressed may not reflect the views of any affiliated or sponsoring individuals or organizations. Listeners should carefully weigh information provided and seek advice from an appropriate professional before implementing. Listener discretion is advised.